On today's show, the New York Knicks and Toronto Raptors are making a deal, sending OG Ananobi, Malachi Flynn, and Precious Achua to New York. RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly headed to Toronto. Why did the Knicks feel the need to make this trade? How do Barrett and quickly fit in with Toronto, specifically with Scotty Barnes? And then also, why are the Atlanta Hawks underperforming this season? Is it a Quinn Snyder coaching problem or is it a personnel issue? Plus, the trade rumors are heating up surrounding DeJounte Murray. It's all coming up right here at Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy New Year and welcome to another edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day, free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Now, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more with FanDuel right now. New customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks if your team wins and all you have to do is wager $5. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Joining us now is the host of Locked On, Knicks, Gavin Ishal. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked On, Knicks. And Gavin, new year, new New York Knicks making a pretty big trade here, moving uh, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and a second round draft pick for OG Ananobi, Malachi Flynn, and Precious Achua. This trade kind of, I don't want to say coming out of nowhere, but just it feels like one of those trades where it's like a little early before like trade season really kind of starts heating up. And uh, so let's kind of start with why did the Knicks make this trade for OG Ananobi? So it, it felt like from the moment they signed Dante DiVincenzo that one of Emmanuel quickly or Quentin Grimes was ultimately going to get dealt. And I think that timeline might've been exacerbated by the Mitchell Robinson injury. The Knicks went from a uh, top five defense when Robinson is playing to one of the worst in basketball uh, since he's been injured. And I, I do believe it goes deeper than that, though. They pursued Ananobi um, as far back as last year, offering multiple first-round picks for him. At the time, that wasn't enough for Toronto. But there's been a desperate need for a 3-and-D guy at, at that small forward spot. And obviously, Ananobi offers a lot more than that. But in terms of a fit around Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, I, I mean, outside of, I guess, kind of like the star class of guys, Ananobi is about as clean as you can get. And R.J. Barrett was about as poor as you could get in terms of a fit. And I think at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's almost that simple in that he offers the positional size of Barrett that Tom Thibodeau desired and the uh, two-way play of Emmanuel quickly. So when you look at kind of what what this trade cost the Knicks in R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly, I want to get to, to quickly and kind of how they're going to maybe replace his production in a minute. But, you know, the Knicks were trying to get O.G. Ananobi, uh, Ananobi last season. You know, it, the the asking price was a little steep, you know, three, four first round draft picks, whatever it was that the, the Raptors were trying to hold out for. How do you kind of grade the return here, right, and what it actually cost to get O.G. Ananobi? It's a hard question. I'm I'm going to call it a B because I, I do. And, and that's that's less a reflection of Ananobi and more so me thinking the cost is, is pretty substantial because I'm very high on Emmanuel quickly. He was the common denominator in, in not only the Knicks best lineups, but lineups that have been some of the best in the NBA this year. The the primary one he played with um, with Josh Hart, 
Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, and Isaiah Hartenstein was plus 33 per 100 possessions, a 97th percentile lineup. And that's not a small sample size thing. It's a lineup that's played substantial minutes this year. Last season with Jalen Brunson, they were consistently one of the better two-man pairings in basketball. And the fundamental issue is Tom Thibodeau just never believed in it enough to start. And and he valued uh, size just a little bit too much, in my opinion. But given that and, and the fact that that was a reality, and I don't think Tibbs was ever budging on that, this was a fantastic return because, again, Ananobi is just an immense upgrade over R.J. Barrett, who is hyper inefficient, has been one of the least efficient players in the NBA since coming in. And Ananobi is none of the issues offensively. And while Barrett has turned into a fine defender, Ananobi is about as good as it gets on the perimeter in the NBA. So it, it covers a lot of different bases for the Knicks. The concern there is they might have just given up the best player in the trade. Yeah, I mean, it, it, look, O.J. Ananobi fits Thibodeau. He fits the Knicks a lot better than, than R.J. Barrett does. That's that's an absolute certainty here. But do you, are you worried at all? You mentioned, you know, them maybe making this trade or, be, or kind of things being exacerbated by Mitchell Robinson being injured. Are you worried at all that this was kind of like a, a reactionary trade where they're like, oh, well, we've got to do something to try and fix the defense rather than just, okay, hey, maybe this is not, because you, what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to lose this trade, right? Yeah, I, I I don't think so, and I maybe maybe I shouldn't have even mentioned that, but I, I think I think it might have just accelerated their timeline and created a little bit more urgency, just because that's such an obvious need right now. Um, but th- this was I, I again I think in the working since last year they originally had very serious discussions with. Toronto, I believe before the Mitchell Robinson injury, it was the last time they played the Raptors in Toronto. They might have been just right after he got hurt. But the point is, this has been on their minds for a while. And I think Ananobi makes a lot of sense regardless because it feels like a move precipitating another move. SNYZ and Begley reported that the Knicks might have one or two more coming in short order or as soon as this offseason and to me, that makes a lot of sense. I think Ananobi is the kind of guy you get if you want to be all in. Like if he's your fourth best player, you're in very good position. He's someone you acquire certainly for the regular season, but even more for the postseason going up against the Jason Tatums, the Giannis Antetokounmpo's, um, those types of guys in, in, in the playoffs. Like the Knicks just had no answer in those matches. They didn't really have much of an answer for Jimmy Butler last year. Um, Ananobi at least gives them an option about as good as any team in the NBA has. If this is the move before the big move or before another move coming down the pipeline, what who who else would be on the trading block? Who else would you would you factor into a trade to make another potentially big move if you're in New York? You're saying um, who who would the Knicks pursue or who would they give up? Who would they give up? I think it's going to be a lot of draft picks. And and the good news is they have a lot of draft picks. They have all their own. They have three extras. None of them are of premium value. It's a Detroit first, a a Wizards first, and they still have that top five protected Bucks first that took a little bit of a nosedive when when Giannis re-signed there. Um, So the question is, can they outbid teams? And I mean, the first name, I I know this wasn't what you asked, but the first name that comes to my mind is Donovan Mitchell. And and obviously you, you would expect the Brooklyn Nets to be on him, in on him with all the Suns picks they have to offer. The Miami Heat can potentially throw a Jaime Hawkins in that trade or Tyler Hero in that trade. So they're, the, the Knicks are not going to necessarily win on players or picks. You, the hope would be that the combination of both is enough to entice Cleveland or, or maybe Mitchell just coming flat out and, and saying, hey, I want to go to New York. Now, if the target is someone bigger like Joel Embiid, 
this is a little bit of a hit to those goals because I think it, it, the the presumed hypothetical deal this offseason was the Knicks giving everything, all the picks, plus an R.J. Barrett, plus an Emmanuel quickly, and now you have a little bit less to work with these players like a Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo, further along in their career, making more money, a little bit less appealing to Philadelphia, who, to be clear right now, has, has no, uh, no thoughts of trading Embiid because they are doing fantastic. At least here in the short term, there may be, you know, a bigger move coming further down the pipeline for yeah. the Knicks. But at least in the short term, how do you envision them kind of trying to replace the production of Emmanuel quickly? Because he's been such an important piece for this yeah. Knicks team. You know, how do you even begin to replace what he did for this team? I, I think I think it's a massive concern because they go from having I, I called it on the podcast yesterday, three and a half ball handlers. If you want to call quickly like a point nine and RJ like a point six to two ball handlers. It's, it's Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle. We, we even saw in that Pacers game against uh, the easiest defense you could go against. They, they both played fairly well, but I, I think they were overtaxed and, and you only want Julius Randle making so many decisions um, and, and they they certainly need another guy who's comfortable with the basketball in his hands. Um, I don't think the shot distribution is going to be an issue because you go from someone like R.J. Barrett, who was super inefficient, then it almost cancels out how efficient quickly was, to Dante DiVincenzo, who's coming off a 38-point game last night, to Ananobi, who's obviously close to a 40% three-point shooter and very good around the basket. So they're going to get good shots. Um, but to actually answer your question, it could be a further trade down the road or they, they might just live with it. Um, the, the fear there is if there's an issue to Brunson or Randall, I, I just think that would be so destructive at this point because there isn't really that next guy on the roster. You say, yeah, I want to I want to give him the basketball and let him create. How will OG Ananobi fit on the New York Knicks? What are the Knicks going to look like with OG in the lineup? And could there be yet another trade coming further down the pipeline? You'll have us cover for all that and so much more over at Locked On Knicks. Gavin, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me, Jackson. Coming up, the other side of the Knicks-Raptors trade. How good of a return was R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly for OG Ananobi? How do Barrett and quickly fit in with the Toronto Raptors, specifically with blossoming star Scotty Barnes? We're going to get there in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose, and all you have to do is wager $5. It's that simple. The app is so easy to use. And there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab on their website. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays and so much more. Right now, you can take a look at the outright betting favorites for Super Bowl 58, the San Francisco 49ers at plus 200, the Ravens at plus 340, and then the Buffalo Bills plus 750, the Cowboys at plus 950, and then right behind them, the Kansas City Chiefs at plus 100. Thousand. So for all those odds, be sure to visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to make a bet today. Get in on the NFL action. Again, that's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, some exciting news is Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every single league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. 
Joining us now is the host of Locked On Raptors, Sean Woodley. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked On Raptors. Something you're absolutely going to want to do to get some deep dive thoughts on what this most recent trade means for the Toronto Raptors sending out OG Ananobi, Malachi Flynn, and Precious Achua, bringing back in RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and a 2024 second round draft pick. Sean, this is a Raptors team that was like holding out for so long on an OG trade, right? Reportedly, originally, they wanted, what, three, four first round draft picks, you know, back when the, the rumors were first kind of flying, you know, at one point last season. So walk us through, you know, how you get from the Raptors trying to get, you know, a, a, a massive draft haul like that to walking away with R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly. Like, is, is this a good return for Toronto for, for OG Ananobi? I think absolutely. I think the Raptors front office is vindicated for being patient with this. Like, yes, a lot of draft picks are nice, but you know what a lot of draft picks could turn into is two 23 and 24 year old controllable players who are pretty good. In particular, Emmanuel quickly fits this team absolutely perfectly. He is the exact type of player they've needed and have really been sort of scouring, I think, to try to pair with Scotty Barnes going forward. He's a guy who can play on the ball. He's like a 98th percentile pick and roll scorer per all of the synergy data this season. That's unbelievable. That's something that the Raptors have sorely lacked this season, losing Fred Van Vliet and his pick and roll gravity for nothing in the offseason. And yeah, you know, picks again. I the picks that were offered, you know, the, the Memphis trade or whatever it was last year that was kind of floated out there of, oh, three draft, three first round picks. How do you not take that? Like, these are not all first round picks are equal. There are protections. There are sort of fake first round picks that convey into seconds. There was never any sort of um, indication that any of the picks were going to be primo picks. And so for me, getting a guy in Emmanuel quickly in particular you can pair with your burgeoning franchise player in Scotty Barnes, who's taken this incredible leap this season, who's going to fit beautifully next to him. I think that is a home run for the Raptors to get an actual player to be a running mate with Scotty Barnes. Look, Scotty Barnes is in year three already, and you can't sit around and wait for guards to hit into the draft. It usually takes these guys three, four years to figure themselves out. You didn't have the luxury to wait. And so Emmanuel quickly comes in. You're going to be able to sign him as an RFA this summer, hopefully with no problems and set up a runway here where him and Scotty Barnes and RJ Barrett as well, who's under contract for three years beyond this one get to actually you know, stop the churn of pending UFAs and trade rumors that this franchise has been kind of mired in for the last two or three seasons and actually go forward with, uh, I think, a pairing in Barnes and Quickly that is really, really exciting and, and I think is going to offer a whole lot for Raptors fans to get excited about. And there hasn't been a whole lot of that this season. Well, you're very excited about the addition of Emmanuel Quickly, clearly, and mm -hmm. what that means for, you know, uh, you know, helping to continue Scotty Barnes' kind of upward trajectory and what, and what, you know, they're trying to establish there in Toronto. How do you like to fit with RJ Barrett, though? Because he may you're very high on Emmanuel quickly. How do you feel about the RJ Barrett portion of the trade? Yeah, I should say like Emmanuel quickly. I pitched the Raptors trying to go for him in like July. So I've okay. been like on this one for a while and really hoping it happens. I was a happy little boy yesterday when it all went down <laughs> um, with RJ Barrett. Look, it's weird, right? He's 23 years old. He's clearly got some kind of talent wrapped up that maybe hasn't been kind of tapped into. He was not the priority on those Knicks teams, was in kind of a strange role. I think the fit right now with the roster as constructed is not very good because I think him and Pascal Siakam, uh, you know, with Scotty Barnes, it's a lot of the same issues we saw with OG Ananobi. Different, obviously, right? I think RJ is a more dynamic offensive player, a better driver than OG was. I also don't think he's as good a shooter, obviously. He doesn't have that gravity. He's not the same defender either. 
I think quickly kind of helps massage that fit a little bit more than say Dennis Schroeder has so far this year when he's played with the Raptors wing heavy lineups. And so I think it'll be okay, especially if RJ Barrett can kind of make good on his pretty reasonable catch and shoot numbers that he's kind of always had throughout his career. It's the pull-ups that really kind of hurt him. So yeah, I'm not a huge fan of the fit right now. Obviously, we'll see if another shoe drops here with Pascal Siakam, or maybe there's a move where they try to turn Jakob Pertl into make a couple more better fitting pieces, whatever it might be. Um, I don't think the Raptors are done, so I'll evaluate the Barrett fit you know, once we kind of know what roster they're cooking with here. But I do think like it's a very worthwhile flyer on a guy who's going to come home, play in front of his home country, very familiar to all Raptors fans and Canada basketball fans. You know, I think there's this sort of maybe wrong assumption and unfair assumption that, oh, well, he's going home, therefore he will play better. Like, we can't say that with any certainty, but I do think you put him into a team where he's going to have a little bit more priority. Darko Ryakovich, the Raptors head coach, is very much a development guy. Tom Thibodeau, of course, very much a let's go win all the basketball games right now guy. And so I do think there'll be some leeway here for RJ Barrett to test his bounds a little bit too. So I'm not super keen on the fit, but I'm also totally fine. That contract, you know, he's going to be making like 29 million bucks in 2027. That's going to be low end starter money by then. I'm not concerned there. But yeah, I think there's still some roster figuring out here to do to figure out exactly where RJ Barrett fits into this picture long term. You talk about the other shoe and kind of waiting for it to drop, right, with Pascal Siakam. I mean, how much pressure is there at this point on this Raptors organization to make a trade happen? And, and do they do they have enough leverage, right? Because it's kind of a thing where they've got to make a deal happen or he walks for nothing this summer. So, you know, is it kind of a fire sale type thing where they're going to just have to take whatever offer is ultimately on the table? Or do you think there's maybe a bidding war that they can just kind of start between a few teams that would be interested in acquiring Siakam's services? I do think there's less pressure on the Raptors to make a Siakam deal now that they've traded OG Ananobi. And you get like five weeks now to see what does this all look like with quickly and Baird in the mix. Maybe they go on a bit of a heater here. They have a very tough road-heavy schedule, so I would bet against that. They're also a 12-20 and 20 basketball team, and heaters aren't really a thing that they do. But I do think the mix is going to, you know, sort of enliven the team a little bit, kind of change up. Um, I think the offensive potency in particular with quickly coming in, um, I, I think there's some stuff here to get a look at over the next five weeks. With Pascal, I, I mean, I'm kind of in the minority on this. I kind of just think they should keep him around. He's a really good basketball player. He's having a very nice season. He's been very efficient. Yeah, his raw scoring totals are down, but that's because he's not leading the NBA in minutes like he used to under Nick Nurse every time, every year. Um, and you know, obviously, Scotty Barnes has taken on more of the mantle as well. And I just think when you have Scotty Barnes, you've made this trade for quickly. You've gotten younger. You've gotten more diverse and balanced in terms of the way the roster is set up, the skill sets you have. I think Pascal can fit into that. It's tricky with Jakob Pertl as your starting center because he's not a spacing threat or anything like that. Pascal's not had a good three-point shooting season. Everything else, he's been nails, but the threes have obviously fallen off. You know, again, the fit with Barrett's going to be tricky to figure out. If Barrett's hitting threes, it's a lot less tricky to figure out. I, I think, you know, for the Raptors here, because they've made the OG trade, they don't have the big sort of sword of Damocles hanging over the whole team where you had both OG and Pascal headed for free agency. I think they feel pretty good if they want to go down that road. 
of their chances of keeping Pascal and putting an offer on the table that he's happy to accept. All of the reporting over the years has been that Pascal is not really itching to leave or anything like that. So I, I do think there's a chance here they extend him, um, but we'll see. I, obviously, if a team comes out of the, of the woodwork and has a big offer for him, you probably look at it and it makes sense. Obviously, now that they've kind of picked this direction and Scotty Barnes is the be-all, end-all of everything and everything has to be geared around putting the best team around him. So if a team comes forward with a big offer, sure, I'm just skeptical that that's actually going to happen because Pascal's a hard guy to fit into a team in the middle of the season. He's an excellent basketball player, but there's not that many teams that can just kind of plop him in with his usage, with his play style and have it be a really easy fit. I think Indiana is kind of the only team that comes to mind. And if it's only one team throwing a bid at you, do you get enough back to warrant moving on from a 29-year-old player who you can just lock in for many years and have a runway here with quickly Siakam Barnes. That trio in particular, I think, fits beautifully with one another. And so we'll see. I, I would bet that he does get moved at this point. The writing seems to be on the wall, but I don't think the Raptors should be, you know, like feeling like they're obligated to make the move because they can just extend him and have him around and figure out trading him down the line if they have to. He also is just a really good basketball player. So getting proper value back is going to be challenging. How will Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett fit in with the Toronto Raptors? Is there another move coming down the pipeline with Pascal Siakam, or will he stay in Toronto long-term? You'll have us covered for all of that and so much more over at Locked On Raptors. Sean, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Happy New Year, buddy. Coming up, the Atlanta Hawks have had a rough go of things in December, sitting six games below 500. Why are they underperforming so far to start this season? Is it a coaching problem with Quinn Snyder, or is it a personnel issue? We're going to tackle that in just one moment. First, today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. PrizePix is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports because it's just you versus the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you just pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. It's that simple. Prize picks is so easy to play. You can make your picks and submit an entry in less than 60 seconds. They've got quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types is what makes Prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app on the market. And with basketball season here and in full swing, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, you can do LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three-pointers made plus reception. So if you've been thinking about getting into daily fantasy sports, you've got to give prize picks a chance. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use code locked on NBA all lowercase for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA with code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks is daily fantasy sports made easy. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. Be sure to stay tuned in throughout the week as you have it covered for all of the NBA action, news, and analysis right here at Locked On NBA with our rotating panel of hosts, including Matt Moore and David Ramil on Tuesdays, John Corrales and Jake Madison on Wednesdays, Nick Angstat and Pat the Designer on Thursdays, and Wes Goldberg and Adam Mares on Fridays.
Joining us now is the host of Locked on Hawks, Brad Roland. You can track down wherever you listen to your podcasts and on YouTube. Just search Locked on Hawks. And Brad, a bit of a rough December here for the Atlanta Hawks. Just a 4-10 and 10 mark here on the schedule for them. 13-19 and 19 on the season. Six games below 500. You look up and down this Hawks roster, there's a lot of talent there. They brought in Quinn Snyder to be a, a winning, you know, championship-level kind of head coach. So what's the biggest reason the Hawks are kind of underperforming relative to expectations this season? Yeah, it's probably a tie between two things. Number one, is just the defensive end of the floor. The Hawks are very, very poor defensively for what seems like the third or fourth year in a row. They're not very good on defense. Part of that's talent, part of that's execution, all of that fun stuff. And then they simply cannot win close games. Uh, they finally managed to win what probably shouldn't have been a close game on Sunday, where they kind of almost tried to blow a pretty massive lead against the Wizards on the road. They won that game in quote-unquote close fashion. But the Hawks have been pretty terrible uh, in the clutch this year. Their numbers are very unsightly there. And they actually, before this, before that game on Sunday, they had blown a second-half lead in four straight games, and they just can't seem to hold on to a lead. So a combination of late-game execution and defense is kind of what leads you to a very poor showing so far. 6-14 and 14 in the clutch going into to that uh, Sunday matinee performance against uh, the Wizards, which, yeah, the, the end of that game was a little crazy. They they did their best to maybe almost give that one up. Uh, what's kind of, at this point, what's kind of the book on Quinn Snyder, right? He gets hired super late into last season. This is his first full year, right? Goes through training camp, has, you know, his, his feet all the way in on this team now, gets a chance to really start the year with this team. What's the evaluation of him to this point with this squad? I think it's still kind of an incomplete, to be honest, which doesn't may not seem satisfying after, you know, almost a, almost a full season now between the second half of last year and the first half of this year. But basically, they, did, they didn't change the roster hardly at all in between. And it feels like it's a roster that doesn't really match what he wants to do. They're kind of in this in-between mode where they're running stuff that's not necessarily catered to their talent, especially on defense. They're trying to play Quinn Snyder's preferred style without Quinn Snyder's preferred players is the way it feels to me. Um, obviously, when you lose a bunch of close games, people are going to point to the coach. And that certainly uh, is reasonable. I tend to lean on the bigger sample of Quinn being a pretty quality guy from dating back to Utah. But at the same time, I think that everyone would kind of acknowledge like the huge changes have not been made necessarily to the results. Now the profile has changed offensively. It looks a lot more like a Quinn Snyder team. They're taking more threes. They're getting to the rim more, less mid rangers. I think those were all good changes. It's just that defensively, they look a little bit different, but the results don't really look the same. So I, 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 I should say that the results actually do look the same in a bad way for the Hawks. So I would say he's doing a fine job, but he hasn't been a huge difference maker either, which I think is what the Hawks were kind of hoping for early this season. You talked about execution being kind of one of the issues there defensively. What specifically about the execution is kind of lacking so far with, with the Hawks defensively? Because last year they were 22 in defense. This year they've slipped all the way down to bottom four. They're the 27th right now in defensive rating. Yeah, they've sort of sacrificed some of the baseline stuff from last year that they were, that they were actually okay at doing. They were playing a lot of conservative drop coverage, which, which can certainly get you beat. It's not a high upside defense, but they're playing less of that, which kind of goes away from their strength when it comes to Click Capella and Anaka Kongwu, their centers, who are their best defenders. They're playing more out on the level of the of the screen. They're playing more aggressively, and that has led to more turnovers, but it's also led uh, to kind of you know unevenness and allowing a lot of a lot of threes and a lot of uncontested threes, and you know not to uh, defend. Quinn Snyder necessarily, but their perimeter defensive talent is very poor on this roster. Um, Jalen Johnson has been their only major injury this year, but he is one of their best defenders. He's been out for a while. Now DeAndre Hunter's out. Those are their two best defensive forwards and really their best two defenders that are not centers on this team. So um, part of it really is a defensive thing. You know, there's just that famous phrase about defense. That's all about effort. 
not really in the NBA. You kind of have to have defensive talent on some level. It's not all effort. You have to have effort too, no question about that. But I think the Hawks are kind of proving that they are playing hard defensively. They just, they're just kind of limited to what they can do. So I think a lot of it has to do with just like putting guys in positions that are not fantastic for them. And uh, I think there's probably a long-term goal uh, in the mix there, but it's not really working in the short term. You mentioned maybe, you know, Quinn Snyder trying to achieve some things without maybe the right personnel to do it, I guess, yet in Atlanta. One of the things that's been interesting is there have been some uh, rumors kind of heating up around DeJounte Murray, potential trade rumors, uh, you know, involving him, which is a little weird that we're not even like, what, a full two years removed or almost a full two years removed from uh, the big all-in move that the Hawks made to acquire DeJounte Murray so at this point you know should the Hawks be looking to to move Murray or and if they are I mean kind of what what would even a good return look like since you forfeited so much draft capital in the first trade iteration for him yeah I think that it's for me a situation where they should be listening on DeJounte Murray I'm not sure they have to trade him but I think honestly with how middling their results have been for a couple of years now I think essentially anyone other than Trey Young and, and now Jalen Johnson's coming on as kind of a foundational piece for them. Everybody else, and that includes Murray, should be available to some level. And I think the rumblings about DeJounte were, I guess they're a little bit surprising when you put it that way, like, you know, le- less than a year and a half into the uh, experiment. But the results just haven't been there. I, I don't think Murray's been individually bad. I just think that it's probably fair to say after a year and a half, that transaction is not one that you would want to ha- sort of do again if you were the Hawks. Pushing all that capital in, thinking you were getting a game changer in Murray and then having your results, if anything, they've actually gotten worse, not not because of Murray, but their results in the last year and a half were worse than they were the previous couple of years. And I think that defensively, he hasn't changed their culture, all that stuff. As far as what you're looking for, it really comes down to like what the organization believes right now. Because if you look at the results since the conference finals round, which we all talk about all, all the time here, that's still three years ago. And they've been a 500 team essentially since then. And when you talk about that, it's more like, they're not going to rebuild right now. They're out picks in the future. They still have Trey Young, who there's no signs that he wants to be gone at this point in time or anything like that. So it's more of a retooling, but also do you want to put more assets and kind of throw good money after bad? I think if you're trading DeJounte Murray, you're kind of doing a, not not, not necessarily a a whole reset, but more of a hard pivot into like, okay, let's take a step back build around Trey, build around Jalen Johnson and not necessarily like sell him for nothing, but make it, make it, make it to where you have more flexibility, make it to where maybe you get some of that draft capital back, et cetera. So kind of, kind of depends on which team you're looking for. You know, the Lakers are always out there as the big, bad team. It's a clutch sports thing, all that stuff, (laughs) but it kind of depends on who you're trading with. But I do think that the Hawks can kind of go different directions. It's kind of, if you're looking for a silver lining, they can kind of pivot in one way or the other fairly easily given where their roster stands right now. And kind of, I guess, one other potential trade ship here with Nyeka Kongu signing his rookie extension before the season and, and how well he's kind of played. I mean, what's, I guess, kind of what's the read on Clint Capella's future with the Hawks, right? Is he a viable trade ship? Is Kongu ready to potentially step into that starter role if they could get somebody, you know, on the trade wire for, for Clint Capella to get an improvement elsewhere, you know, on the roster? Yeah, I think so. I think that it's actually a surprise. And I said this as someone who thinks that Capella is a good player. He's a very valuable, important role player, veteran guy. But I'm surprised he's still on the roster only because they drafted a Kongwu with the number six overall pick. And if you told me four years later, Capella would still be on the team, I would be very surprised by that. Not because of Clint's play, just kind of the resource allocation of having those two centers that are still, they're both pretty good players. They've played a little bit together this year, but in a vacuum, they don't really play together and all that stuff. So yeah, I think Capella is going to continue to be available. They came close-ish to trading him this summer. They didn't do it. Um, 
given where they are on the standings, it wouldn't make some sense to if you can have a, a find a buyer for him to go ahead and make that move now. Not because you know, it's going to make you worse, and that's kind of why the Hawks haven't done that so far. They don't. They're kind of hesitating to because I, I think they know that trading Capella would make them worse in the short term. But big picture, long term, when you've already have a Kongusan, like you said, I think both DeAndre Hunter and Clay Capella are going to be out there in a lot of trade scenarios in the next month, month and a half, and uh, eventually they're going to have to move one of those guys because look, the Hawks will like to pay the luxury tax. They've never paid the tax under this regime, and if you look sort of down the road. They have a lot of money out there. So trimming some more salary is not going to be satisfying to anyone in the market locally. But if you follow the, the tea leaves and what they've been doing in the last couple of years, it's pretty likely to happen. Last one for you here, Brad, because I this is a guy that I, I'm actually really fond of his game. I wanted him here in Houston, actually. AJ Griffin, uh, who I thought, you know, he had a pretty strong rookie rookie year uh, by all metrics. And I, it just, it felt like even before his little like eight game absence due to personal reasons that he wasn't really like a mainstay or couldn't crack a consistent spot in the rotation. Kind of what's up with him this season? Why, why was that? That he, did he just fall out of favor with Quinn Snyder? What's going on with AJ Griffin? Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I mean, obviously, you talked about the personal absence. I don't really know what happened with that or what's happening with that. So that's always kind of a question and personal reasons are personal reasons. So who knows? But to your point before that, he wasn't playing a lot. I think that, you know, the short, probably broad version is that they don't love his, they don't love his defense. Mm. And I, I get that. And it's, it's not very good. Um, I've also been advocating for him to play more. I, I would have just thrown him out there and gotten what you could get from him because he's, he's too talented for me to not play on a team that is where they are. If they were a title contender, I would get it more. But given where they are and their pecking order, not playing him doesn't seem like the best idea to me. But I think that given how many defensive issues that they've had, that's my best guess. And that's the only thing I can kind of believe from the, from the organization as to why he's not playing. He played a little bit less once that took over last year, but he was still getting out there on a regular basis. So it's been kind of a lost year so far. I'm still a believer in Griffin, to your point earlier. The shooting is dynamic on the wing. Like he's not the most high upside guy in the world, but I think there's a really valuable, if nothing else, a valuable role player in there. And I'm hoping that once, now that he's back from the personal absence, get some practices under his belt and hopefully starting in, in January, he can start kind of get back in the rotation because I think long-term he's still a pretty interesting piece for them. Can the Atlanta Hawks get back to playing above 500 at basketball? Will they be able to start closing out games consistently moving forward? Is there any retooling coming down the pipeline, either by way of moving DeJounte Murray or Clint Capella? You'll have us covered for all of that and so much more over at Locked On Hawks. Brad, thanks for stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts.